Honey, would you pick up that box for me? I was in that room in November. It was late in the day, the weekday, and uh, just doing odds and ends around the church here. And um, Linda was uh, working at the school, like usual, and it was the end of the day. She came down, she saw my car, she stopped in, and she wanted to do a few things as well. And we were doing odds and ends, getting things ready for whatever here at the church. And so we're in that room, and in the corner there, there's a, there's a bunch of crates, plastic crates, boxes. And she said, honey, would you get that box for me? I, I got some things in there that I need. It was on the floor. I need to go up on the table. I said, sure. So you know how when you pick something up, you instantly evaluate it to see how heavy it is? Okay, so on the top of that, that crate was light things. So in my instantaneous um, evaluation of this, this crate, I thought, oh, this is light. And so I bend down and, as if it's light and, and go to pick it up, and it's not. And there's some really heavy things in the bottom. And I... In, in, in one split second, I'm telling myself, put it down, Paul. And the next split second, I'm thinking, ah, oh, you got this. I didn't. <laughs> I, I did lift it all the way to the table, and I felt something in my back. Now, in that moment, it wasn't too bad. I kind of went, that felt weird. And then the next day, um, this is still a mystery to me, why when I'm young, if I hurt myself, it usually hurts right away when I was young. Now it takes two or three days to kick in. I, I don't know that you think it would go faster because you're older, but it's the other way around. So anyway, the next day, my back tightened up in a knot right, right back here behind the rib cage, and to the point where I couldn't get comfortable. I couldn't sleep. I, I, um, and after several days of this, I, literally not sleeping from this pain, I couldn't do much. It was Sunday morning, and I said, honey, I, I can't go to church. I can't even preach. I, I got to go to the hospital. And a lot of you remember that day in November where, you know, pastor's not here. He's in the ER. And so I went there, and, of course, they, t they took care of me and looked at it, and they said, all right, we think it's a muscle strain, Paul, but, but you should get a CAT scan just in case. So I thought, all right, sure. I mean, that's what you need to do. Check it out. So they did a CAT scan, which I've never had before. It was kind of cool. This big round thing spins around, kind of noisy. It wasn't frightening. But the doctor looked at the CAT scan and said, you know what, your back, there's nothing scary there. You have a muscle strain, pretty severe one. And you're, here's what you can do about this. Go to physical therapy. And now it's fine. It, it took about what they said, about a month and a half to feel better and heal. However, the doctor who looked at the scan Notice something else, not associated with the back or nothing to do with the back pain. And he put it on, on his little notes and sent it to my, my primary care doctor. And I said, Paul, you've got nodules on your thyroid. And I thought, well, that don't sound good. What are we going to do about that? So my doctor said, you know what? A lot of people get this. No big deal. You know, I, I, well, you've got to get checked out just in case. But 98% of the time, it's nothing. Okay, that sounds fine. So at this point, it, it's now December and it's holidays and just scheduling and making an appointment with a doctor. Basically, I had to get an ultrasound on my neck to check out my thyroid. And that happened in early January. And I got that. So the test results come back from that. And they say, well, you better, we better take a closer look at that. That one nodule there, there's two of them. And the one might be a problem. Okay, we're going to take a biopsy. All right, that's never good, but all right, let's, let's do it. 
So they took a biopsy. And then um, I belong to, or my, my health network is, is St. Luke's. Some of you might be part of that. They're kind of new in the poke, and it was very good. And perhaps the, your health care is similar where, where I can go online and look at all my results and, and all my tests and my medications. It's all right there. It's really a great convenience. And um, so much to the point where they'll put test results up, and I'll see them before the doctor usually which is not always good, because I can't speak doctorese <laughs> or translate. So I'm looking at all these words thinking, but there was one word in there that I knew what that word was, and it said malignancy. Ooh, okay. I was at my desktop computer in my family room. Linda was there, but I said, honey, you want to read this? And I said, okay. That's not good. So in that moment, and some of you have walked this, all of us know people who've dealt with cancer. There's a, there's a unique kind of fear that you don't know until you know it. And fear is knocking at the door. In fact, fear is trying to kick in the door. But you know what? There was something more powerful than the fear at the door it was the voice of Jesus in my heart. You're going to be okay, Paul. I got you. And throughout these last, this last month and a half or so, that, that voice has kept going. And so now here's what needs to happen. Um, it is a cancerous nodule and they took another ultrasound just specifically on the thyroid in my neck to see if it had grown or spread or anything, and there wasn't any evidence of that. So the doctor is fairly confident that we're going to take out your thyroid, but this, this shouldn't spread. You don't have to do radiation or chemo or any of those kind of measures. Uh, we're going to check it going forward and that kind of thing, and after they take it out, they have to do a biopsy of the whole thing, etc. But before I got all the news about that, and, and I've agreed to do that, and that's going to happen in a couple of weeks. I'm going I'm to have that surgery on the 9th of March, so I do appreciate your prayer about that. Um, and I should, I'll be there overnight and home in a couple of days, and I won't be preaching that Sunday because that's a couple of days after the surgery. So uh, in two weeks, um, you're going to get to hear from my wife. All right? So she's going to share whatever God lays on her heart uh, that morning. But... Um, before I got the, the word from the doctors that it's not too concerning, that fear didn't completely leave. I mean, it's still knocking, okay? I mean, fear, that's the way fear is, isn't it? It never evaporates. It never goes away, but we can kind of keep it there at a safe place. We can kind of keep it there where it doesn't control. It's, you know, or use another metaphor, um, it's in the van, but it's not driving the van, 
there's a lot of passengers in my van of who I am, and, you know, but I don't let fear take the wheel, okay? <laughs> and to use another song, I let Jesus take the wheel in my better moments, and hopefully that's the case now, and it is, and it has been. But there was a moment where that fear began to grow and grow and increase, and I, and I shared this the other week without all the detail of the story. I said how I sent a, a text message to my um, a very dear friends, Paul and Jason. I said, hey, would you guys pray for me? I didn't tell them why. I just said, look, I'm just in a bad spot. And I was listening to a song that day that uh, those of you who remember the, the Christmas program that our little choir did at Christmas time, they sang a song by a band called Mercy Me called God With Us. And it's a beautiful song. It was, I think it's probably about 20 years old at this point. And that song repeats that, that line, God with us, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, a word you often hear at Christmas time um, because it's one of the titles and names for Jesus. And, but that's what it means, God with us. And that phrase kept coming through my mind and my heart. You're with me, Lord. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then, so I went into a time of prayer, and then a couple of minutes later, I get a, a reply from, from Paul on the text. He said, hey, brother, God is with you, Emmanuel. He didn't know I was listening to that song. He didn't know any of that. He, but, but God did, <laughs> And gave him that to say to me, and, and I, I, I think I shouted, jumped, and cried at the same moment. It was beautiful, you know? Um, and then a, a moment of prayer the next day, as the battle continued, I'm in the, the, the other church that I pastor. Those of you who are new today, I, I pastor a second church in Bartonsville, and I go there first, and I come here. And um, so I was in that church, and I was praying one day, about all of this, and you're probably familiar with, if, if you grew up going to church like I did, you probably heard people say, give your life to Jesus. Kind of like I was telling the kids there, your life to him. And, and that's a good phrase. It's, it's a good way of understanding the gospel as we know what that means deeper and deeper from, from scriptures. And usually for me, I, I did that as a very young age. I gave my life, my heart to Jesus. But as a little boy, there's things you don't know yet, things you don't understand yet. So as new experiences and changes come, then I have to give my life again. It's not like I didn't mean it the first time. It's just that there's new stuff I got to deal with, God. I'm going to give that part of my life too. So in that way, I think that prayer needs to be said over and over again in our lives. Lord, I'm getting married. I'm happy about it, but I need to give my, myself as a husband to you. Lord, I'm going to be a dad. I was blessed to be a dad four times. Lord, I need to give myself as a dad to you. And obviously, when I became a pastor, Lord, you know, I don't got much to give, but, but through me, if you're in me, then, then this is going to be good. And, and so we have these different segments of our life, different experiences that we haven't been through yet that we're facing. So we give our life to Jesus in that sense again and again in a continual way. But that day, I prayed a prayer I never said before. Because I had that C word of a diagnosis. And at that point, I didn't know how bad it was. And I said, all right, Lord, this could kill me. I mean, I know lots of people who died from cancer, so, so I could die. And I'm okay with that. Now, I want to stay here. I want to be here as long as I possibly can. I, I, God, I have a lot to give. I have a lot I still want to say and do and be. But 
if you're more glorified by me leaving this world very soon, then have your own way, Lord. That day, I didn't just give my life to the Lord. I gave my death to the Lord. That's in His hands. Too often we have these assumptions that it's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to, you know, and, and, and yet we all know how sudden it can come. Sometimes it's very sudden, as the Freeman family knows. And sometimes it's a long time coming, but okay, there is a diagnosis and it's not looking good and in time. And a lot of you walk that path as well. But I gave my death to Jesus. And I don't say that pridefully. I say that thankfully. Now, the next day, I, a day or two, I, I got the, the first kind of prognosis that this is treatable and it should be good. But here's the important thing I want to share with you, and then we're going to come back to the scripture for a couple of minutes. Um, my hope doesn't rest on whether or not I have a good prognosis about cancer in my throat and my neck. That's not it. I, I, don't, I don't say, praise Jesus, you're with me more now because I have a better prognosis than you were before I knew it. No, I say, praise Jesus, you're with me no matter what. That is where my hope lies. Because here's the thing. All of us have to face that path one day, and all of us have, you all share with me the, the desire to live in this world and live well and, and to enjoy it as long as we can. But someday we are going to walk that path, whether we know it's coming or it hits us very quickly. And that's what the gospel is all about. It's not only about that. It's not only about what happens after you die, but it's, it's also about this world. But that's a key element, of course. I want to know Jesus now and forever. Amen? And, and, and that is how he communicated that to, to me in these recent weeks. And so far, he, he's, he's been there. I believe I'm going to be around for a while. But I had to lay it all out and say, you know, Lord, if not, I'm okay. And I mean that. I mean that in as much as I can, I can say that right now before all of you. Friends I've known for many years and new friends I'm just meeting today, I'm sharing this with you that Jesus Christ, my Savior, has saved me for this life and beyond. He has my life. He has my death. He has me. He has this cancer. He has you. Do you believe that? He has your situation, whatever it might be. When Linda asked me to pick that box up, and then after I, my back was sore, she felt bad. She says, honey, if I hadn't asked you to pick up that box, you it wouldn't have hurt your back. Now I say, honey, thank you for asking me to pick up that box, because I wouldn't know. <laughs> and there's more. I get to the doctor, and he's looking at the scan. He said, you know what? It's very rare that a, a CAT scan of your back will even show the thyroid. He said to me, God must have you. <laughs> Amen. So he is with me. He is 
changing me, and that's good. I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. But my greatest hope isn't that, isn't the result, isn't the outcome. It is, well, the ultimate outcome, and that is with Christ. Life or death, he has me and he has you if you believe. These scriptures today do connect with this in this way. In, in these first couple chapters of Romans, there's, there's three um, applications we can make are kind of groupings of people. The, the church that the letter of Rome, excuse me, Romans was written to by the Apostle Paul, he, um, he's writing this to a, a specific group of believers. And, and that group of believers was um, infighting among themselves. And there was those who were Jews who believed in Jesus, and not many of the Jews did in that time, but they were, they were Jewish believers who believed Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior. And then there was Gentiles, the rest of the world basically, uh, who also believed in Jesus, and they should have all been together in the same church and working together and doing the things churches do. But there was infighting based upon those who were Jews, those who were Gentiles. And that's what he's addressing here. So he's calling them both out. He's saying, you're both wrong. You're supposed to be one. And we looked at that in the first couple of chapters. So he's writing for that reason. But then also the message there is for all of humanity. It's for all people. It's, it's that we shouldn't wear our, our goodness, our, our successful obedience like a badge of honor that one day we're going to cash in like a chip at a casino and say, here, God, bless me because I have this. I've been good all of my life. I've been good enough all of my life. I, I, I obeyed more and I... You know, sinned less than most people, so I must be welcomed into your kingdom based on that. And Paul says, nope. And that message is for all of humanity. None of you are good enough. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a moment. And then it's so, so that, that idea that all people all time have this, this sin problem, this brokenness from sin that we share in. And I'm not personally responsible for all the evils of humanity, but I have participated in the evils of humanity in some way, shape, or form in the sin of my own life. So, so I don't get off scot-free. I don't say to God, it's all the rest of the people. Lord, look at me. I'm okay. And no, he doesn't, doesn't go for that either. And this is the shape that we're in, and it's not good. And in this section of Romans that I read this morning, Romans 3, look at all the quotes he uses. If you see footnotes in your Bible on the bottom of the page there, you see all these Old Testament references. So when he's given all these really scathing words about um, no one is righteous, not even one, they've all turned away and, and calls their, their throats open graves, vipers, cursing, bitterness, bloodshed, you know, no fear before God. Wow, that is really... Pretty dark stuff, Paul, you're writing here. This must be a really nasty church, but he's not writing just to the church. He's saying these descriptions are true of people in general in all time through all history because of the sin problem that we all share in. And how much each of us participates and is responsible for that varies to each person. And, and obedience matters in terms of Human relationships and community and church and family life, it's very important. But if our obedience before God is what we think is going to win us eternity with God, we're wrong. And that's his big point. And so you might say that this is a diagnosis. 
People are messed up. This is what Paul's driving at. This is what he's writing about. You have to see how bad it is before you get to the good news. You have to admit that you're part of the bad news. You have to admit that you're responsible for the bad news before you can receive and draw any life from the good news. So that's the diagnosis. And, and between eight, Romans 1.18 and 3.20, we have this description of our shared brokenness for various reasons. And specifically to the church in Rome, it was you know, the, the pride of the Jewish believers. They have the law of Moses, and we know better than they. And the pride of the Gentile believers, some of them influenced by Greek philosophy and you know, kind of proud of that. And, 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 and neither of them are right. You're all broken. And so this, you might say, is the prognosis. This would be like going to the doctor. Okay, Paul, I got some bad news, followed by some worse news, followed by some really ugly, awful news. Is there any good in there, doc? Nope, sorry. That's what Paul's doing. That is the author of Romans. He's telling us that without Christ, this is our hope. There is none. We live in this sin state, and we won't get out of it, and we can't go to God at the end of this life and say, I'm good enough. I went to church every week, didn't I? Isn't that enough? Nope. I was nice to my mom and dad. That's good. It's helpful. But nope. I never stole. Nope. Never murdered. Nope. See, we all have something that we're broken by that's broken us in, in, in the matter of sin. So we have to be honest. That is our prognosis. So as we continue through Romans in the weeks ahead, here's the good news. And this is where we'll begin next week. Verse 21 of chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Say that word all. All who believe. All. Everybody who believes. There's the good news. You know, if Paul stopped writing at Romans 3.20, no one would read it. Why should they? It's bad news with no happy ending, with no goodness, with no hope, with any, without anything. That would be like the doctor saying you have no hope you're going to die tomorrow. That, in, in the physical realm, that's what it would be. And spiritually, that's our diagnosis. That's our prognosis. That's our condition without the intervention of God through his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and died and rose again for us so we can have him now and forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ through your son. Thank you for the love he's given to us. Thank you for every person here today that you love. You see us broken as we, as we are. You see whatever sinfulness is present in our life, and you know it, and you still love us. And what you want us to do, Lord God, is turn to you they say, Lord, I am broken, and I have sin, and I need you to forgive me. I need you to help me. And if that's your desire of your heart, and, and, and that's never 
been spoken from your heart before, that's never been said to God before, that, Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive me. You can do that right now. Just simply ask God, right where you're sitting, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, come into my life, that my life would be honoring to you, not because of my goodness, but because of Jesus in me. And he is in you when you just ask. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for every person here, every family. Thank you for the the filled room and the time of worship. And bless us as we uh, go forward from this place today. And may our lives be touched continually by the presence of Emmanuel. God is with us in his name. Amen. Amen.